A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples. A large number of people followed from Galilee and from Judea, hearing what he was doing. A large number of people came to him also from Jerusalem, from Idumea, from beyond the Jordan, and from the neighborhood of Tyre and Sidon. He told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, so that they would not crush him. He had cured many, and as a result, those who had diseases were pressing upon him to touch him. And whenever unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God! He warned them sternly not to make him known. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. So in the verses just preceding this one, in fact, if you came to Mass or did the readings yesterday, you, you read this, how Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And because of that, the Pharisees and the Herodians had decided they were going to find a way to kill him. Now it's interesting that the Pharisees and Herodians are gathering together for this particular uh, issue because they normally hated each other. The Pharisees were very devout, strict teachers of the law. They, they were religious teachers, and the Herodians were politicians. And, you know, and religious teachers and politicians typically don't get along, and they certainly didn't then, because the Herodians, their power came from Rome. Herod was, of course, the king. You remember him? He killed the, the babies in Bethlehem, right? Well, this is a different Herod, but it's still a Herodian dynasty. And they have their power from Rome. King Herod, the first King Herod, purchased the right to be the king uh, over Palestine from the Romans uh, sometime earlier for a large sum of money. And so he was hated by the religious establishment because the king of Israel, supposed to be a descendant of David, Herod wasn't even Jewish. And so there was the, the, the Pharisees and the, and the Herodians were at odds with each other. Yet in Jesus they found a common enemy because he threatened their power base. You see, the, the, the authority of the Pharisees was based upon um, some, uh, you know, over some false, uh, false teachings and uh, and, and overstepping their authority, trying to show themselves as greater than the crowd so they could tell the crowd what to do. In today's uh, terminology, we would call that clericalism. Priests who pretend they're better than everybody else and so they can tell everyone else what to do. Pope Francis has been very strong fighting against clericalism because it's a problem in the church. It's a problem in every religious organization. Those who rise up want to have authority and to exercise that authority over people. And that was the Pharisees. And the Herodians, of course, they, their authority was in fear and intimidation because they were aligned with Rome, they had soldiers, and they could kill or imprison people. And so in this struggle, you see the Pharisees are very quick to criticize and condemn. The Herodians are very quick to punish and imprison. Jesus is very quick to heal, to forgive, to deliver. Jesus has 
true authority because Jesus is God himself. And the miracle that Jesus had done on the Sabbath, as you recall, was he healed a man with a withered hand. That's a poor translation because um, in Hebrew, the word yod, which mean, can mean hand, it can mean forearm, elbow, arm, any part of the arm, all has the same word. Because remember, in Hebrew, there are only 8,000 words. So each word has a lot of different meanings. And so any part of the arm had the same word. So the translators call it hand, but what we probably are dealing with is, and, and you probably have seen people that, that have this, this birth defect. They have one arm that's very short and a hand that's non-functional, useless arm. I've known people like that. And, but Jesus comes and on the Sabbath day, with a crown gathered around him, he challenges the Pharisees, is it right to do good or evil on the Sabbath? And then, with a word, he does nothing but speaks to the man and says, reach out your hand. And then his arm starts to getting longer and grows to full length. His hand begins to reshape and to reform and to becomes a normal hand. It must have been an amazing miracle to watch. And when the Pharisees see this, realize they are in big trouble because only God could restore a withered arm because as the psalmist says I am fearfully and wonderfully made God shapes each human being in the womb now today when someone is born with something like a short, a short arm, useless arm, we would call that a birth defect. But in Christ's day, they saw that as that God made him that way for a purpose, for a reason. They'd usually assign it to a sin or something that, that some, some sin in, the, in one of his ancestors that surfaced in, in, in this, this birth defect. So only God can change what God has made. So when Jesus speaks to this man and his arm grows out and becomes normal, well, that wasn't just any healing. That was an act of God. And that terrified them. So they understood that they were going to lose their power and authority because the true power and authority was in their presence. So what could they do but try to put him to death? Now following this amazing miracle, suddenly we have huge crowds seeking Jesus, trying to touch him. It's interesting that those who had power and authority wanted to kill them, but those who had needs longed to touch him. They desired Jesus. And so they came from far and wide, from all, all up and down Palestine, even into some of the Greek regions. They were coming to touch Jesus. Well, and, and, you know, Jesus can't handle that. So there's a couple of things Jesus does. He goes off into a, a, a private place, starts finding secret places to do his ministry. Because the crowd is, is so huge, he, you know, his, his own safety is at risk here. They, He's concerned that they might crush him. 
And it was the custom at the time for a teacher to sit when he taught and that all of the disciples or, or students, they would stand all around him. In fact, if you go to uh, Qumran, where the Dead Sea Scrolls come from, there's a, a, a room in the establishment there called the oratory. And in the corner of the oratory is a stone stool. And that's where the teacher would sit. And then the students would all gather around him. Well, that works if you've got, you know, a couple of dozen, you know, disciples, maybe as many as a hundred disciples gathering around you. But when you've got hundreds or thousands, it just doesn't work. So Jesus instructs his disciples, get a boat ready <laughs> so we can go sit in the boat and all the people can gather, stand on the, on the seashore. And that way Jesus is safe from being crushed and he can sit there and he can do his teaching. Now it's interesting, the, the concept of being a, to teach in the chair translates to the church. That's why we have a big chair, all right? It's a big fancy chair because the chair is symbolic of the teaching authority of the church. And that's why if you go to uh, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, uh, the, the very last uh, altar, last chapel is called the altar of the chair. And I remember going there and Cheryl and I are going to mass there and I'm looking for the chair. It's called the altar of the chair. Where's the chair? I don't see the chair. And then I suddenly realize what it is. It's like 40 feet high. It's this huge gold-laden chair in his hand. You know, it's, it's on the wall, suspended in midair. I wasn't looking that high for a 40-foot high chair. And we have the chair. In fact, I know some priests who like to do their homilies from the chair. They'll sit at the chair to do homilies. Some of you may have seen that before. Um, and I know that as we go into the Middle Ages, the chair kind of translates into these big high-flying pulpits, you know, where you climb up the steps to get to the pulpit and look down on the people, and some priests like that. But we're, in, we're not in the first century, we're not in the Middle Ages, we're, we live in a very informal age, and so I, like, I prefer informality. But nonetheless, Jesus sits to teach. Now, we don't have recorded in this particular passage what Jesus said, but I'm sure it was something very similar to the Sermon on the Mount. I've talked about this before. The Sermon on the Mount is really the, the core of Jesus' teaching. And as, a, as an itinerant preacher, he's going from place to place. People aren't catching him on, on, uh, on YouTube. You know, they have to, he has to preach the same, essentially the same message as he goes from one place to another. And we have that as the Sermon on the Mount. So it would have been something like that. But then, the real reason the people had gathered. They probably didn't gather because they really wanted to learn Jesus' teaching. They, they gathered because they wanted his healing. They had witnessed or were aware of this incredible miracle that had just happened days before, and they had needs. Now that could have, that could have kind of like put Jesus out, you know, he could have said, goodness gracious, they, they have no really interest in what I have to say, they just, they just want to get something from me. But Jesus is God. And so the only way God ever responds to someone who comes to him is in love and compassion. Because love is not something God does, love is who God is.
And so Jesus, having compassion on the crowds, began to heal, to deliver, and to forgive. I remember once I was doing a, uh, this is actually before I was even a priest, I was um, speaking at a, at a charismatic conference, and I was speaking on that passage from Colossians, God has made you worthy to share in the inheritance of the holy ones in light. And I was teaching on that, and one of the things I said was, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. He is love. Now, I, was listening, I, was, uh, I caught the videos from Dave, Father Dave Bravanka, you know, the Wild Goose series. And I'm listening to that, and Father Dave happened to be at that same conference. He was also speaking in that same conference. And guess what I heard him say? There is nothing you can do <laughs> to make God love you more, and nothing you can do to make God love you. Oh, you stole my line. <laughs> I was, of course, not upset. I was actually kind of honored, um, flattered that he would do that. But anyway, that is true. Jesus is God. And even though people are coming to him with perhaps the wrong motive, God accepts them the way they are, receives them, and ministers to their need. Now, what does this episode in the life of Jesus teach us? Because he's really not doing any teaching here. You know, he's just, we're just watching his life. We're witnessing. And when, when we lit, witness the life of Jesus, we learn who God is and how God relates to us. Because Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. And the first thing I think that we learn is that God accepts us all just the way we are. He doesn't try to see if we measure up to some standard. That if we're doing things right, like we're asking for his help, we're asking for his healing correctly. He just takes us the way we are and pours his love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his healing, and his deliverance into our lives. And secondly... We see that Jesus never holds back. I mean, he wants to be practical. You know, he tries to, he tries to tell people, don't, you know, don't spread this around. He's trying to keep the crowds at a reasonable size. But he never puts practicality over people. He always reaches into people's lives. When anyone who shows up, Jesus is there to minister into their need. When we show up in prayer, when we show up at Mass, when we just show up driving down the road and we cry out the name of Jesus, or we just cry out, God, help me, he's always there because you are what is important. To Jesus. You know, a lot of times we, we try to be very pious, we try to be very reverent, we try, to do, we try to do things the right way. And that's wonderful. We should always do the best that we can. But that 
is not really what's most important to Jesus. What Jesus is looking for is not our piety or not our, our reverence. What he's looking for is our honesty. He would much rather have us come to him and just say, Jesus, I'm a mess. Than have all the prayers memorized and do it and do it all right. Because it's you that he cares about. It's you that he desires. It's you that he wants to touch and to heal and to forgive and to deliver just the way you are. And so in our own lives, in our own church, in our own service, what we should do is be Christ in the world and receive everyone who walks through these doors as Christ would. Even if they're dirty, even if they're musty, even, you know, even if they've got things, you know, one of those things that they, people stick in their nose these days, I don't know. You know, people pierce their nose, their, their lips, their foreheads, I don't know. You know, even if they don't seem to be the kind of people that we think should be in church, to always accept them just the way they are because that's the way Jesus accepts them. And even when we're outside of the service, outside of the church, when we go through, we go into town and we see, you know, someone walking down the street with three different colors of hair and, and all the stuff that, that people do, accept them just the way they are and reach into their lives with the love of Christ because that's the person he loves. That's the person he desires. And so we, as Christ in the world, should reflect that and minister to them however Jesus allows us to minister to them and to consider it an honor when Jesus allows us to minister to the least of his brothers. St. Teresa of Calcutta she says, she says lots of wonderful things. And so I like to, I like to read her sayings. And, and uh, you know, I, we, I've mentioned her in my homilies many times. But I like this that she says. She says, faith in action is love. And love in action is service. And the fruit of service is peace. And peace is begins with a smile.